Well, good morning, church. Hey, you folks sounded pretty good singing. Enjoy that. Um, just a couple things to keep in mind as we are moving into our Christmas season. One, please remember today is the last day, I believe, for our uh, Emmanuel Child uh, Christmas Star special gift. It's where we partner with our Russian missionary pastors, and you purchase a Christmas star for $25. And what that does, it helps our Russian pastors be able to give special Christmas gifts to uh, children there and uh, enables them to be able to present the gospel in a special way to children who otherwise wouldn't get these special gifts. So today's the last day to partner with that. We got a little ways to go for our goal, so do remember that. Also, this year we are partnering with the Pregnancy Care Center with the Deck the Dresser ministry. We did this last year. It was an absolute smash home run, fantastic ministry where we purchased four dressers. Our church signed the back of the dressers. And then they were able, the Pregnancy Care Center was able to give away the dressers to moms who chose life and otherwise didn't have the means to help care for those kiddos. So they, we, we purchased the dressers, and remember, we all donated a whole bunch of stuff to fill those dressers. Well, this year we're getting four dressers, and I mentioned it last week. Um, we didn't know if we were going to do two or three, and I called up the Pregnancy Care Center, and they said, you know what? We are really in need of four again this year. We are expanding. And I said, okay, here we go. So we're going to do four and I just mentioned it last week on a whim, and I had two people come up and said, we want to buy one. We, we want to buy them. So two are bought. So hurry up and buy one. They are going quick. <laughs> um, the price went up this year over last year with all of it, um, even shipping and everything. There's $690 a dresser. And we just need to purchase two more. We're going to get them here, and then we're going to sign them as a church, and then we're going to stuff them. And next week, you are going to hear the most phenomenal story you've heard of what one of our dressers last year did in the life of a mom. Wait till you hear this. I can't wait. So next Sunday, you're going to get to hear this together, and uh, that'll be a really special time. One other thing for our Christmas season, and that is we are going to have a special um, Christmas choir for our Christmas Eve service. And we would love to invite those who would like to participate in a Christmas choir for our Christmas Eve service. And we want to um, get folks who have not formally been in our choir to participate. And we're going to learn a few new songs together. And we would actually love to pull in even some young blood into this. And uh, we have a brand new person who's going to jump into this Christmas choir this year, and it's me. <laughs> What's so funny about that? <laughs> Don't let that deter you from being in the Christmas choir. And what's going to happen is right after this service, um, down this hallway outside of the foyer, um, on the right is a classroom. And, uh, and, and there's just going to be a quick informal meeting for those who may be interested in being a part of this Christmas choir. Um, we're going to be thinking about, hey, when, here's when our practices are going to be. We want to do this at times when everyone can participate, even if you're involved in 
ministries of our church. We don't want to exclude anyone from participating in this. So come on down to the classroom at the end of the hall down here and on the right, and we will connect together and, um, and chat about this for our little Christmas choir. That all makes sense? Yes. And here comes Christmas. It is coming fast. I'm going to tell you about a time, right about this time of year, um, I would go to Wellsboro, Pennsylvania. There's a Grand Canyon in Wellsboro, Pennsylvania, and uh, we had a little hunting crew that would meet there every year. They had the best spring-fed water line that came from the top of the mountain all the way down to our little cabin down in the bottom of the canyon. And the water was so clean and so pure and so clear and so cold and it was so delicious for water. We just absolutely loved it. And I remember one time we showed up to camp and they turned on the faucet at the cabin and there was nothing coming out. And the one guy said, I, there must be a plug in the line somewhere. And so he, he actually unplugged the line. Um, he opened up the line and he started, he started like any guy would do. He just grabbed a hold of this thing and he just started sucking on the one end. Just to, yeah, I know. <laughs> and he just started sucking on the one end to see. He goes, there's probably some leaves or some dirt in there. Well, he ended up getting it out. And he pulled out of his mouth some decayed frog parts. But once he got it out, and we thanked him for it, that water line was open again, and it was clean, and it was pure, and it was delicious all over again. I remember um, back a number of years ago, I bought a, a John Deere 3010 tractor. It's about a 55-horsepower tractor, and it was on Craigslist. And I remember seeing the ad, and they said, it doesn't run. They've worked on it. They've worked on it. They've worked on it. It doesn't run. They're so mad. They're so frustrated. And, and, um, and they were offering it for $2,000, and that was a steal. And I remember calling them up, and I said, well, what, what have you tried? And they were telling me all the stuff that they tried. And I, and, um, and I said, you know what? I've got $1,300. That's it. And they were so frustrated with this thing. They said, sold. And I said, you know what? I, I can't pick it up, though. And they said, we'll deliver it. <laughs> we will deliver it. And they delivered it. And they dropped it off my property. And I remember that night, I, and truthfully, I don't know anything about mechanics. So you're looking at someone, I really don't know a whole lot, but I worked on these tractors for quite a while. And, and I'm thinking, you know, they worked on all these other things. I just wonder, and I took off the carburetor, and I pulled off the gas line on one end, and there's this little tiny filter on one end of the gas line, and it was completely plugged with dirt. And I cleaned out that little filter, and I hooked up the gas line, I put the carburetor back on, and I turned it over, 
started right up. And I put it on eBay and sold it for $3,600. <laughs> and it just goes to show you how a little plug in the line messes everything up. It doesn't take a whole lot, but it can mess everything up. It can shut things down. It can lower its value. The utility of it, its whole purpose of why it was created can end. And if it does that for a tractor, and if it does that for a water line, if it does that for all of these things, it can also do that in other areas of our lives. And so we've been talking about connecting with God. We've been talking about prayer. And so when we stop and think about prayer, you know, there's never a problem with our connection with God on his end. When we talk about our prayer line with God, there's never a problem with the connection on his end. And we've talked about this from the beginning. Remember, when we talked about how our connection with God was made, it was made because of Jesus Christ. Now, now follow me through on this. If you remember back in the Old Testament days, if people wanted a personal connection directly with God, it happened with the high priest, it happened in the Holy of Holies, it happened on the Day of Atonement. And the people of Israel were hoping that that one individual would have that personal connection with God and that their connection on their behalf, would make everything right. And then the Bible says that when Jesus became a high priest on our behalf and went to the cross and died for our sin, he not only was our high priest making a connection with God, he also was our sacrifice, paying the penalty for our sin. And the Bible says, therefore, we have a direct, personal connection with God eternally. Now that sounds pretty good to me, huh? I'm telling you, we don't need someone else to go on our behalf to God. The Bible says we can go to him personally. In fact, it says confidently, boldly, I can step into the presence of God and make requests of him. It's awesome to think about it, of God. Now, God is, even the definition of God, God is the most high being, the supreme being. There is no one higher. In fact, there's not even a close second here. He is the most lofty. He is the greatest one of all. And so when we think about I have the ability because of Jesus Christ to go to God, that is because of Jesus. There is no problem with the connection on his end. If there's ever a plug in the line, it's on, it's on our end. The problem's on our end. And so today is a little bit different discussion I want to have with you. Today may seem a little more teaching-oriented because I'm going to walk through a number of separate passages 
rather than just putting the car in park in one passage. It's a little bit different than how we normally do things here for a message. But last week, um, not only had we talked about what Jesus did for us, last week we talked about the motivation behind our prayer is being love, that oftentimes we don't, we don't pray about things we don't care about, and we don't care about things we don't connect with. And in our cocoons, we will never be touched with the same things that touch the heart of Jesus. But when he saw the crowds, he was moved with compassion, and he told his disciples to pray, and then it ended up the disciples were the answer to their own prayers. But today we want to talk about, can we make sure the connection with God is clear? Can we make sure the pipe is open? Can we make sure we're really connecting with him when we approach him, that we're not just saying words? We want our prayers to be useful. We want them to be valuable. We want them to be effective. And to have that, we need to be sure our connection with God is unplugged. It is open that there is nothing in the way. And so um, I'm going to work through four connection problems with you here right off the bat. These are going to move through quicker. So grab your study guide if you would. And I'm going to work through these. These are in separate passages of Scripture. The passages are going to go up on the screen. If you want to find them in your copy of the Scriptures, feel free to. And then in the end, we are going to put the car in park in Ezekiel in chapter 14 for just a moment. And that's where we're going to stop and look a little bit longer. Ezekiel chapter 14. But I want to I give us some things to think about. We're talking to the Most High God. This isn't merely our buddy, although certainly he is our friend, but he is the God of the universe. He is perfect. He is holy. He is eternally righteous. He's so far beyond us, although he is connected with us because of Jesus. And so when we approach him, we need to make sure that there is not a problem on our end. And so I want us to think about this. There is a problem on our end. There is a problem with our connection with God. If you, and I want to give, here's four things. If you haven't cleaned up your accounts with God, that's number one. Probably if I were to ask you, what barriers, what clogs in the pipe could be there that would keep us from connecting with God most likely all of us, number one, would say, you know what, the number one barrier that would be there, of which all the others fall under, would be sin. There's something in our lives that we are harboring or holding on to or that we enjoy that has found safe place in us that we just don't want to part with. And that thing would plug up our line with God. And so there is a problem with our connection with God if we haven't cleaned up our accounts with him. Psalm 66, 18 says quite plainly, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Now this whole idea and understanding that we really need to approach God with a clean heart, with an open heart, with confession in our lives is not new to the new testament in fact even when the old testament saints and priests would go into 
the holy place before God, they made sure that their lives were clean. They didn't just sloppily come in and throw themselves before God, but they really thought about their lives. They really thought about where they were and they made sacrifice for their sin. And so it's important for us to think about this. As we approach God, it's even in the Lord prayer, in the Lord's prayer, and forgive us our debts, forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. God, forgive us. To clean up our accounts with God is significant, and here's the beauty of it, and I love this, folks. No matter what we've done, no matter where we have been, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, if we connect with God, and if we agree with him about our wrong, here's the truth. He is faithful. He is just. He will forgive us our sins. He will purify us from all unrighteousness. We, in going to God, here's a plug on our side. We need to open up the line, and the very first thing we really should do is say, God, I need to open up my account with you and I need to confess. We need to keep short accounts with God. The first prayer that we give with God is oftentimes that prayer of repentance. It's time to keep the line open with him. That's number one. Here's number two, and I, I need to move through these quick. Here's number two. There's a problem with our connection with God if you haven't cleaned up your accounts with God. Number two, if you haven't surrendered your will to his. If you haven't surrendered your will to his, in the Lord's Prayer, there's a significant phrase, our Father, if you know it, would you say it with me, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom, thy, there it is right there, thy will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a problem with our connection with God if we haven't surrendered your will to his. Haven't surrendered your will to his. What a phrase that is right there. Your kingdom come, your will be done To go to God seeking his agenda for our lives and, and his desire for our lives rather than, and oftentimes we find ourselves thinking this way, what is my agenda, what is my will, and prayer becomes the vehicle to get God to do what I would like him to do, but rather than prayer becoming the vehicle, God align me to what your design and your desire is in all of this. One of the greatest prayers that we've ever heard is even the prayer of Jesus as he aligned with the Father right before his death on the cross. And, and he said, Father, if it be so, let this cup pass from me. And that's the cup of me being separated from you in judgment. And he said, but even so, not my will but your will be done. To go to God with a surrendered will 
to believe that his plan for you is better than your own, to suggest your thoughts and be satisfied with his. One person has written, and I love this, the ultimate purpose of prayer is not to get what we want, but to learn to give what God gives. I'm going to say that again. The ultimate purpose of prayer is not to get what we want, but to learn to want what God gives. There's a problem with connection with God if we haven't cleaned up our accounts with God, if we haven't surrendered our will to his. I don't know how to state the third one, so you're going to get it the way it came to me. Here you go. There's a problem with our connection with God if, are you sitting down? If you're a schmuck for a husband, that's the way you're getting it. I couldn't think of anything else, and I thought, well, you know what? They're going to remember it. Here's how Peter says it. 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. And treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. You wonder what a schmuck is? I looked it up in the dictionary. It's really in there. It means an unlikable person or a jerk. Now let me just be as serious as I could ever be. Men, Christian men, husbands, Christian husbands should be the most considerate, respectful husbands on the face of the earth. Am I preaching right now? Am I meddling right now? Meddling is no extra charge, folks. Christian husbands should be the most considerate husbands. I memorize this in the King James. It says, husbands... Live with your wives with all understanding. And I know that there's some husbands right now that are saying, but I don't understand her. And here's the phrase that I come out with. Well, you don't need to understand her to be understanding. She may not make sense. You may not understand, but the Bible doesn't say you have to understand. It says you need to be understanding. You need to be considerate. I always tell husbands in counseling, there's a reason why when God invented the hug, her face is that way and yours is this way, because you can hug her and be like, oh, I really don't understand any of this, but I'm being understanding. And then it mentions to be respectful. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner. And, and here's the deal with that weaker partner. Some people think, oh, she's a weakling or she can't handle stuff. And I'm telling you, women can handle stuff. I've been with my wife through seven childbirths, seven pregnancies. I've seen the load that she handles, and I'm, my favorite phrase is, I'm not man enough to be a woman. 
It is crazy work. The word weaker partner is literally, and the King James is actually a little bit closer, it says weaker vessel. And that vessel is actually a container, like more like a special piece of pottery. And the best thing that I've ever had to explain this is my wife's grandpa would travel the world and would bring back teacups and saucers from every place he went. And they were so beautiful and hand-painted, and they would have a gold rim around the top. And he would give her a teacup and saucer from every place he went around the world. And she would get those, and they would go to a very special place behind a closed door that you could look through glass and see them. Now, you know we have seven kids. The first five are girls. Girls would love to play tea. Now, guess which teacups and saucers they never played with. But we would go to Walmart and we would pick up a 102-piece plastic teacup set for $9.99. You can play with those all day long and we really don't care. But there's this other tea set we don't want you to play with because they are valuable, they are precious, and we esteem them that way. That's this weaker vessel picture they are like a high priced vase and we treat them with that kind of value and what we take out of this men god cares about how you treat your wife he wants us to be the most considerate husbands he wants us to esteem them and value them. And it's interesting because some people think, well, back in the Bible days, they never esteemed women. Well, let me tell you, God did. And God showed us how to treat women. And if we don't treat our wives well, it doesn't matter how great an orator we are doesn't matter how eloquently we can pray doesn't matter how great we can teach God won't be impressed by our theological prowess I like to say value your wife and treat her with respect or she won't be the only one giving you the silent treatment God will too There's some women sitting here today saying, man, I love my church. <laughs> but you don't know if you can say amen because everyone will think your husband's a schmuck. <laughs> but you know what? So much of our connection with God is directly tied to our relationships with each other. Um, like um, 1 John 4.20. Watch this. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they've not seen cannot love whom they've not seen. Cannot love God whom they've not seen. Here's the deal. God wants us 
to love each other. Husbands, be considerate. Be respectful. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. Here's another prayer barrier. When we question God's control, when we question God's control, I'm going to move through this and then we're going to get to Ezekiel 14 and finish up. In James 1, uh, 6 and 7, it mentions, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea. You can just imagine that wave. If we doubt God, it's just blown and tossed by the wind and that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. And Imagine being the God of the universe, creating everything that we see. Imagine there's no one even close, there's not even a near second place, and then here we come to God and we pray and we're like, boy, I just don't even know if he can pull this off. Like, really? Like, really? Imagine from God's perspective, he's like, are you kidding me? With, with wavering confidence, even in prayer, and we doubt, and God is not flattered by faithless prayer. And he desires followers who place their whole confidence in him. I know God does what best, what is best. I know God loves me. I know he never screws up. I know he's got this. I know I can trust him. I know God is in control We've ruled out the notion that we are in control. I know God will do what's right no matter what. We don't question him. But when we question God's control, that's a plug in the line. He is in control. Look at Proverbs 19.21. Many are the plans in a person's heart. But it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. God is in control of everything. Now I know some people will throw up, well, pastor, if God's in control of everything, then why pray? Have you ever heard that one? God's in control of everything, then why pray? Well, here's my retort. If God's not in control, why pray? That sounds pretty smart, doesn't it? If God's not in control, why pray? If he can't heal, why pray? If he can't change people's hearts, then why pray? If he can't change your finances, why pray? If he can't work in your child's life or your spouse's life or break addictions, why pray? God is in control. Our ineffectiveness in prayer is never an issue on God's line. It's on our line. Here's number five, and with, with this we finish up. <clears throat> to pack power in our prayer, put God first. To pack power in our prayer, put God first. I just want to read for you. This is, this is a passage <clears throat> a while ago 
I read through, <clears throat> and when I read through it, I thought, man, I need to put a bookmark here because there's going to be a day I'm going to be preaching on prayer, and I've got I've to talk about this one. This is an unbelievable passage that talks about the necessity of putting God first in our prayer life. So check this out. In Ezekiel 14, 1 to 8, and, I, and, and there could be a lot more dialogue about this, but let me just give this to you, and we're going to talk about one last significant thing to make sure that our line with God is open. To pack power in our prayer, put God first. Look at Ezekiel 14. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. So some of the elders of Israel came to me, and sat down in front of me. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man. <clears throat> these men have set up idols in their hearts. And put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Should I let them inquire of me at all? Therefore speak to them and tell them. This is what the sovereign Lord says. When any of the Israelites sets up idols in their hearts and put a wicked stumbling block before their faces and then go to a prophet, I, the Lord, will answer them myself in keeping with their great idolatry. I will do this to recapture the hearts of the people of Israel whom, have deserted, uh, whom all have deserted me for their idols. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says, repent. Turn from your idols, renounce all your detestable practices. When any of the Israelites or foreign residing in Israel separate themselves from me and set up idols in their hearts and put a wicked stumbling block before their faces and then go to a prophet to inquire of me, I, the Lord, will answer them myself. I will set my face against them. Make them an example and a byword. I will remove them from my people. Then you will know I am the Lord. Ezekiel 14, 1 through 8. What an interesting passage. Now, people have long had idols, you know, statues of men and of women and of animals and gods that people look to for guidance and hope and help. But this is a little unique. And the text reveals something because in this, the text reveals that Israel started believing in God alone, in Yahweh alone. That's how the nation began. It was God, Yahweh. And then as they were going along, there were nations that were around them that relied or believed in other gods and so they would have a sun god and a moon god and a fertility god and a harvest god and all of these other things and the israelites began to look around at these other nations and in their hearts because you notice the very first idols that they began to set up were not statues it mentions there were idols in their hearts in their hearts they began to think I wonder if there's something to that. I wonder if there's something to what they're dealing with, something that their gods have going on. I wonder, and they began to do something in their hearts toward those false gods. 
And then after a while, it mentions, then they went ahead and erected a statue that they would worship. And then after they had the idol in their heart, and then after they worshiped the statue, then you notice the last thing that they did when it wasn't going on for them? Then they went and inquired of the Lord. Okay, so I had the idol in my heart, and it didn't work. And then I worshiped the idol outright, and the thing didn't come to pass. You know what I'll do? I'll go and inquire of the Lord. And so their whole progression was tipped on end. And we look at the statue and we think, boy, that is idolatry. Now, I doubt if I went and looked at all of your yards and everything like that, or even went through your homes, we probably won't find many statues that we worship. But verse 3 mentions idols in their hearts. No statue needed. So to cut to the chase, an idol is anything in our lives that we worship or rely in over God. It's anything I value, desire, esteem, trust, hope in, over the one who actually created me and who actually can do something about what I'm going through. Now, in, in Exodus chapter 20, God did these ten commandments, and the very first commandment is this. You shall have no other gods before me. Can you say that with me? You shall have no other. One more time. You shall have. And then the second commandment follows. And he says, and not only no other gods before me, I don't want you to erect any idols. Notice there are two different things. You don't need an idol to have a god before God. You don't need a statue to have something over God. But God says, I, nothing, nothing in front of me. And it's interesting, when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees in the New Testament, what's the greatest commandment? He came out with this. It was to love, would you say it with me? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. It's to love God, to love God with all. So when you're thinking about what God really desires and deserves, remember he's the God of all. He's the supreme being. There is no one higher than him. And God says, you know what? So don't put anything above me. It's God first. Love me more than anything else. It's God first. And here what we find is the Israelites, when they were getting in a jam, they began to rely on things that the nations around them without God were relying in. Their heart was going out to that. And, and then when things weren't working out, then they're like, you know what? Um, strike one, strike two, let's go to God. Let's see if that'll work out. And God says, you know what? I'm, I don't take third place. 
I take first place. That's my spot. That's always been my spot. I'm the God of all. There's no other God before me. You love me more than anything else. That's where I reside. And anything else is a plug in the line of our prayer life. So you wonder, things that we rely on before God, what do we rely on before God? And it can be anything. They can be good things. They can be bad things. And some people may, may go and say, you know what, when I'm in a jam, you know what the first thing I go to? Because I need it. I need it. When I'm hurting, I, I, I go to the bottle. I need the bottle to get by. And you know what, it doesn't get me any better it's more like a anesthetic you know it's just something to numb the pain but then when it wears off it's almost like it's even worse some people my way of getting by is the relationship you know i jump into the relationship and that gives me a good feeling but doggone it the next day or after a few months when the whole thing unravels. For other people, it, it may even be a good thing. You know what? When I run into a jam, I, I, there's a, you know, I look for books or I Google some answers or I watch Dr. Phil, you know, or whatever may be the case. Or, you know, I phone a friend, I call a friend, and they have some neat advice, and there may be some other things that might even be good. And even some other things that God may have given us. But can I just mention, it's God first. It's God first. It says something to God when we do God first. When we talk to him first. When we consult his word first, when we wonder what would he want me to do first, when his counsel drives us, when his will is our will, when what he cares about is what we care about. And you know what that says to God? It says, God, you're my God. You're my supreme being, and I worship you above everything. Because for me, it's God first. That's what drives my life. There's a period in my life I remember going through college and um, I'll tell you what was first in my life for a while in college was, was uh, basketball. It drove me all the time. Every night <clears throat> I would go down the gym, I'd play basketball. College started in the end of August and, and I played ball at the gym all through the end of August, all through September, and all through the beginning of October. And then toward um, the middle of October, there's a special date, and it's 30 years ago now, I hate to admit it, there's a special date allowed by collegiate rules that practices could begin at 12.01 in the morning on that date. And so guess what? Coach said, 
practices begin 1201 in the morning on that date and guess where I was at 1201 in the morning along with the rest of the team and he drove us man it may be hard to picture it but I was even in better physical condition then than I am right now and we ran and we ran and we and I remember guys running off the court and vomiting and running back onto the court and we ran and he pushed us and he pushed us and we had practices over and over and over and that was just in my heart and I remember at the same time that I was just pushing and pushing and I had to make the team and I had to be a starter and I had to do so well and at the same time, I was in a relationship with someone that I shouldn't have been with. And I knew God wanted me in ministry, and yet at the same time, I was struggling if I really wanted to give my life to God and go into ministry. And imagine the message I was sending to him. of what was first and, and where he was. And I remember when my relationship fell apart and I'd go and talk to my buddies and then I'd go and talk to her girlfriends and then finally in the end I'd talk to God about it and, and I was doing no better than Ezekiel chapter 14. And you know what God wants? He wants a bold statement from his followers that says, you know what, it's me first. It's me first. When something happens, God, here I am. What would you want? It's a pray without ceasing. It's a heart that just reacts. God, I wonder what your will is in this. What would he want me to do? What would his word push me toward? How would he want me to respond and react and to live and what would he want me to do? These are the types of things that he wants our life reaction to show. It's God first all the time. No other gods before him anywhere. That we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's God first. Nothing plugging the line. No other gods before him. Folks, here's the beauty. He hears those prayers. God hears those prayers. 1 Peter 3.12 says it plainly. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Just think about it. When our lives are attuned to him, when it's God first, the pipeline's open. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. Boom! He hears it. He hears our prayers. Imagine when we connect with God. Or this one, James 5, 16. The prayer of a righteous person is, two big words, powerful, effective. Doesn't that sound good? Like, yeah, I'm connecting with God. 
My line is open with God. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So here's what putting God first means. First, first, ask God. It involves asking God first. Ask. Have that be our knee-jerk reaction. Right out of the gate, it's the first thing that comes to mind. Before we pick up the phone, oh, please, before you go on Facebook, please. Before we Google, before we do anything, God, you're the first one I need to talk to. You're the first one. I need you. We need the God of the universe more than we need our computer, more than we need our phone, more than we need a book, more than we need anything else, and he needs to hear that from our heart. We need to ask God and pray. And we need his counsel. First, we check his word. God, what would you have? And then follow it. You know, I know it's tight. I know what you want from my relationships. I know you want purity. I know what you want from my language. I, I know what you want from my giving. I know what you want from my thought life. God, I know how you want me to be with the needy. I know how you want me to be with the widow and with the orphan. And God, I know how you want me to deal with my leaders that you put over me and, and I know these things and I know how my heart really wants to respond but God it's God first it's God first I'm going to follow it because it's God first there's no other idols there's no one else that I'm going to follow it's God first I had a friend pop into my office this week and he gave me this quote so I can't take it for myself. Um, it's a quote from Adrian Rogers and with this we finish. It says, please God. If God is pleased, it doesn't matter who is unhappy. And if God isn't pleased, it doesn't matter who is happy. So God, may it be you first. May we check our lines. Are they open? Are they clear? Are they clean? Is there sin? Do we have an agenda that plugs it? Are we inconsiderate and disrespectful with our spouse? Do we doubt you? Do we have others that we just go to? Is there an idol in our heart? Just something else that we want more or rely on more, care about more? God, would you point these things out in our hearts? May it be God first. May it be you first.
may we as a group and a family of followers of Jesus, may it show. First of all to you, may you see it from our hearts. It's you first. May that line be open. May our prayers be meaningful. May we really connect. And may these prayers be effective, powerful. May you hear us, hear our cries. We pray. Would you stand with me for a moment? We don't have a song to sing. We don't have um, words to sing. We just have a prayer to pray. And from your position, if there's something plugging the line, I want you to unplug it right where you are or you know what, if you want, come on down here. And talk to God right down here, down front, and maybe come with a friend. Or you can deal with it right there. But if there's something that has found a safe place in your life that should never be there, it needs to go. And you need to talk to God about it right now. If you go to God with an agenda... It needs to go because it's his will is best. If you're really not treating your spouse well, God cares about that. If there's idols that you go to first, they need to go. Can we open the lines right where you're at? Do business with God, or if you want to come down front, let's just, no song in our hearts. Let's talk to God. God first. It's God first. other gods before you not from us and God may you find in us a people that love you with all of our heart with all of our soul with all of our mind with all of our strength may you be first may the line be open thank you that it's open on your end because of Jesus dying for us our faith is in you 
trust is in Jesus' death on the cross for our sin. We love you. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Connect with him. What I want to encourage you with, in your small group, share maybe an area that your line can be better open. And I think in that sharing, you'll find greater freedom. Hey, choir folks, come on back with me. Let's make a joyful noise together. Blessings. Blessings.